busy mind. That's me. You know, I ask myself, what in the world am I doing up here? Serious question. And I ask myself, who am I that you should listen to me? The fact is, the truth is, the simple truth, apart from the presence of Jesus, you should not listen to me. You need to pray for every pastor that comes up to the pulpit. You need to pray for them when they come because they need your prayers. They are tested every time. They're tested because they may think they're doing really well and they get filled with pride and they're tested because they don't think they're doing well at all and they're crushed in spirit and it happens to them constantly. How do you live in the medium. You need to pray for them. You need to be praying for me because seriously, I'm really humbled by the fact that I'm up here and I need your prayers. So, so that God's word might be heard, let's pray to him right now. Gracious Father, I pray with everything that is in me May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart that have been with me this week on this text, may they be pleasing, may they be acceptable to you. In Christ's name, amen. So what a better way for a person to start a sermon than to start it with what is viewed as one of, if not the most controversial verse in all of the scriptures. And it's that one right there, James 4, 5. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Actually, James begins, do you not know that the scripture speaks to no purpose? And then he says that. The controversy is, first of all, no one knows, no one, not even the smart commentators, no one knows what scripture James is referring to. There is no other scripture that says that. The ancient prophets talk often about God being jealous for Israel, being jealous for Jerusalem, being jealous for us, but not in that way. And furthermore, if you look at other translations, this, by the way, is from, I'm saying this lightheartedly, this is from the real Bible, the New American Standard. The New American Standard back in my day was the Bible of Boise Bible College, and everyone knows that Boise Bible College is the Bible college. And I still read New American Standard. It's all I've used my whole life. But if you were to pick up, pick up an NIV or a New King James, I can't quote him verbatim, but it'll read something like, he jealously... He, he jealously desires the spirit that he has caused to dwell in you, which envies much. In other words, your spirit envies 
much. He jealously desires that. And so the translators have struggled with translating this passage. But I choose this one, and you get to use this one because I'm up here and you're not. (laughs) But when you look at the fullness of the text, this is, in fact, the epicenter of James chapter 4. This is going to be the very epicenter of our message today. He jealously, I want you to grab a hold of that. God the almighty creator of the universe, he jealously desires the spirit that is inside of you. He passionately wants you. But he knows that you have a similar spirit because he has created you in his image. You have passion. God put that in you. And the problem is, is that very often, as a matter of fact, we'll see in the rest of the message, more often than not, our passions go elsewhere. Because that's how we're made. We are passionate people. The concept here is that this divine loving God wants you. He, He wants you. If we can only get that into our heart, and into our mind, and live that way, and live accordingly. The Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him, enjoy him forever. I taught my children the same concept when they were little all the way till they graduated from high school until my kids were rolling their eyes at me. The purpose of life is to love God with everything that is in you, to love your family, to love your friends, and to love every person that God brings into your life. Apart from this, there is no purpose in being alive. And there's a tremendous purpose here when we grab a hold of this. God likes you. He likes you. He loves you passionately. And he wants your attention. Because your passions are going to tempt you elsewhere. And so let's begin by opening up the heart of our text today from James chapter 4, the first seven verses. Listen to this language carefully. It's hyperbolic. Hyperbolic language. It's hyperbole. Make sure you keep that in mind and understand the purpose of hyperbole. Because James is writing that way. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive, because you ask with the wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures. Interesting. Pleasures must be bad. 
He goes on, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world would make himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in you. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Our purpose today is to simply bring these four points across. These four points, there you go. We want to give clarity and definition. Most important thing here today is what do we mean we, with friendship towards the world and hostility towards God? What does that mean? Number one purpose. Number two is to clarify the amazing power and simplicity of God's solution. And number three, Oh, excuse me, number two, to emphasize God's heart towards us and our struggle with the world. And number three, the clarity on God's powerful and simple solution. Let's define friendship with the world. Remember the purpose of hyperbole. Purpose of hyperbole is to make a very strong point by exaggeration, we could say. Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't love me. Jesus has no intention of you hating your mother and father. It's said to give emphasis. So let's talk about this concept here. Don't read over the hyperbolic language and therefore write the scripture off. I will be honest with you, many times I have read over James because I don't like the language. And so I pass it over. But I've been asked to speak on James and so I was forced to go into James and it makes sense. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war against your members. Pleasure wages war against you? Hyperbole. And here's what's interesting. You know this, and I know this. Throughout history, even recent history, even today, the church, and I'm speaking not Dallas church, but I'm sure those of us, there are those of us here who are guilty, the church has historically done very poorly with this concept. And there are churches, including today, who have actually presented the persona out there to the world that our purpose is to make sure you have no pleasure because it's bad. I actually entered into Christianity where that persona was very, very strong. 
And if somebody even saw you going into a bowling alley, oh, God forbid, because you might have fun. And there might even be somebody in there shooting pool. And we get into these strange things and we present this persona that is actually saying what the hyperbole is being used for in the opposite way. And presenting that this concept that pleasure is bad. But listen to James. Force yourself to be in my shoes. I had to preach on this. Get in my shoes. Because the fact is, this is a fact, Pleasure misappropriated can be extremely destructive. That's a fact. And that's what James is trying to get across to us. It can destroy you. In fact, it has destroyed many. And so the church very often has run to extremes. We always run to extremes because we are passionate as God is passionate. He breathed into us his passionate nature. And so one extreme is asceticism. You need to wait till the end of the message because the one thing I'm not doing here today is I am not preaching. I am not preaching that pleasure is bad. Because somebody in the first service thought I was. No, listen. The church very often will run to extremes. One of the extremes is asceticism, which is exactly that. Asceticism, the extreme of an ascetic, is the monk on the hill sitting there with his arms crossed, and he doesn't even move because maybe if he touches himself, the feeling of being touched is pleasurable, and that's bad. Asceticism, I mean, that's an extreme example. But the church has done that. Monasteries, people, people isolating themselves in the world because, God forbid, I may laugh and I may have fun. But the opposite extreme is hedonism. And that is the person who lives... For pleasure. I was a classic hedonist when I was young. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I was a nice hedonist. I was a nice guy. I wasn't a criminal. I wasn't doing bad things. But I lived for pleasure. My first epiphany was at the age of 20. An epiphany is a spiritual enlightenment that comes upon an individual personally. What's interesting about this is I was not a Christian at the time. I knew about God. I knew about Christianity. I had some church exposure, but I didn't pay much attention to it. And I'm sitting in my apartment. I'm a full-time student, full-time employee, exhausted all the time. I have to ride my bike to work in a few minutes, and I'm watching this mindless television program, and all of a sudden, this concept, a concept, swept over me. I didn't hear the words, but boy, did I hear them. 
And all it was, was the concept, and it was very personal, Bob, the purpose of life is not having fun. Now that sounds trivial to most of you. To 20-year-old Bob Sloan, it shook me to my core. Because for the first time in my life, I became aware that if the purpose of life is not having fun, then what is it? I was actually scared at 20 years of age. I was afraid. I said, if the purpose of life is not pleasure, if the purpose of life is not having fun, then what in the world am I doing here? Why am I working so hard? Why am I going to school? Why am I working full time? Why am I doing all of this? And I was lost. That was the beginning of my spiritual journey. My spiritual journey unfolded. I met Donna Lynn in a chemistry class. I balanced her equations. She thanked me and agreed to marry me. We got married, we were converted together about one year later, baptized in the Willamette River, and the journey began. And here I am today thinking that you are going to listen to me. What an amazing story. We don't want to miss the concept. The terminology is purposeful. Listen, war, lust, murder, envy, fighting, adultery, hostility, enemy, it's exactly the point the elder is making. These things are real. These things are abundant in the world. Human beings have the capacity for hyperbolic passion. Oh, do we ever. And very often it's misappropriated. And the potential for disaster is this close. And it can come in the most unexpected ways. I want to tell you a true story. This story took place in Anchorage, Alaska. I was serving as a pastor in Anchorage. I was used as the counseling pastor. I met a lot of troubled people. This is the story of Emily. She's 14 years old. Emily's mother came to see me because she was depressed and struggling with alcoholism. That's how I got to know Emily's mother. We spent a number of hours different times together in my office talking about her struggle. And so therefore, pretty soon, I have her bringing her husband in with her. And I spent hours with the two of them. And then I had them bring their two children, their son and their daughter. The daughter is the youngest of the two, 14. And we spent time together as a family. It was an amazing story. All four of them, it's like I'm reading in the book of Acts in a household. All four of them committed their lives to Christ at the same time. We had a family baptism, the first time in my life that I've had four people other than myself in the baptistry at the same time. I baptized dad, dad and I baptized mom, dad and I baptized son, we baptized daughter, celebration. But guess what? 
wonderful story, but life goes on. And the human capacity for passion has not left Ma. She's struggling. She continues to struggle. She struggled a lot. She threatened to kill herself multiple times. She even attempted to kill herself. The family was exhausted with Ma. And so on this particular day, little Emily, who's now 15, little Emily calls me. I need your help. Mom is threatening again. But Emily is mad. She's angry now. Because Emily had a beautiful day planned with her friends at the downtown mall. All Emily wanted to do was go to the mall and be with her friends and laugh and do what 15-year-olds do in the mall. Be silly. (laughs) You understand. (laughs) Emily was a sweet girl. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going to the mall with your friends and being silly. That's all she wanted to do. But this time, mom is intruding on her day of pleasure. And in a fit of anger, Emily gets so mad at her mom and she said, I wish you were already dead. That's a true story. In a fit of passion, mom runs out the door. Mom never comes home. The story is over. That little 15-year-old girl carries that with her today. Because in that one little moment, this is a horrible test for a 15-year-old kid. This is, no 15-year-old kid should have to face this, but believe me, look at world history, they have. And to this day, Emily thinks that she's responsible for her mother's death. Because just in that one moment, she didn't want to give up that time with her friends to try to help her mom, who she is to love first and foremost, other than God. What a sad story, a true story, a common story. Where does such passion come from. James tells us in our opening text, friendship with the world, James says, is hostility towards God. That's painful. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Again, hyperbole. So the world is bad. That is not what I'm saying. Listen to the heart of James. What does friendship with the world look like? James says, you lust and you don't have. That's that's a word we don't like, lust. Lust is simply a yearning, a yearning for something that is either forbidden or a yearning for something that you don't have and someone else does. Lust and envy, it gets very destructive because not, sometimes you not only wish that you had it, but actually what you wish is that they didn't have it. 
destructive passion. You know the story of our ancient parents in the garden. They had everything. Except this knowledge of good and evil. And they couldn't let it go. We need to understand something. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not a bad tree. Do we understand that? It's in a garden that God proclaimed was very good. But he told them, don't touch it. Don't take that because it's going to kill you. God was not tempting them. God was giving them a command to keep them alive. And their passion is your passion. And their knowledge of good and evil is now your knowledge of good and evil. And do you know what? We're not handling it real well. Did you not know that? What is friendship with the world? Jesus gives us some profound clarity. I want to use his words. Jesus talks about a wide gate and a narrow gate. And he says something that should frighten us. He said the majority of people, most people, are going to go through that wide gate. And that wide gate is going to destroy you. So be careful. He says, enter by the narrow gate because wide is the gate that leads into destruction. So today we're going to use the wide gate as the entrance into understanding what is friendship with the world. And I'm going to use modern day terms. I'm going to use present day language. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to borrow from what the psychologists and the preachers have defined as the three big temptations of the world. These are the big three that you can account to all the temptations that you will ever experience. Money, sex, and power. What does it look like? This is the white gate. Friendship with the world. Going through that wide gate is the entrance into the world. When your world is money, sex, and power, you are on the path to destruction. And the thing that I want us to understand is the way they work together. Money. What does the scripture say? It's the root of all kinds of evil. So in this diagram, money is, in fact, evil. Because it can and will destroy you. They work with each other. Sex. I can't even believe I'm saying sex in church. But it's life. I don't need to tell you what human passion has done with that. You know the world that I know. You see the world that I see. It has been so distorted in today's world. I mean, I laugh, but I cry. We don't even, the culture is trying to say, we don't even, we're not even supposed to know what a woman is. It's crazy. And it comes with passion. These people who are saying those things, they are passionate. They have been sucked into this wide gate. 
It is so important to them. Their sexual identity is everything. (laughs) And power. Every single person in this room has been in multiple power struggles. You probably have been in a power struggle today. And ladies, don't believe for one moment that power belongs to the men. I know the power of women. And if you want to see a fight, if you want to see a fight in marriage, all you have to do is find a couple who's fighting over money. And you want to see the woman play her hand? Oh, she'll play her hand. She has tremendous power. And if the fight gets intense enough and the passion gets high enough, bring out the big weapon. Sex. And then, boom. Just as a marriage can be destroyed by these three passions, a family can be destroyed by these three passions. A community can be destroyed. A nation and the world can be destroyed by these three passions. They will lead you into destruction. All of us have fallen for it to a certain extent. There's no one here who hasn't come in that path at some level. And Jesus said there are many who are going to go through this door. What are the consequences? James uses his hyperbolic language. The words of James in chapter 4. Arrogance, destructive judgments, presumptuous and disastrous plans, envy, quarreling, fighting, murder, and war. Yeah, it's hyperbolic, but it's true. We need to pay attention. If you ever want to get involved in marriage counseling, I've done a lot of pre-marriage counseling. The very first question that needs to come from you as the counselor to the young couple, you know, they're so in love and they're sitting there and they're all gaga and all special. And you look at them in the eyes and you ask them this question. So whose money is it anyway? Oh, oh, all of a sudden we have to start thinking this through. Whose money is it? I'll tell you a couple that's headed for trouble. It's when it's her money and his money instead of their money. Just that simple. And why would, it, why would that happen? Because there's this passionate desire for power. And money is power. And the struggles happen everywhere. So what is God's heart? Let's go to that second. What is God's heart for us human beings in the midst of this struggle? Passionate struggle. It's our primary text. Do you not think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires 
the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. This is a very controversial verse. Not just in translation, but in that word spirit. In many of the translations, it'll be a little less. In many of the translations, New American Standard, which is the real Bible, (laughs) it's capital S. Which is it? In my opinion, it's both. God jealously desires that spirit that he, understand this, that he has caused to dwell in you. He breathed into you his nature. He breathed into you his passion. It's beautiful, but it's dangerous. You don't think God is passionate? Oh my goodness. Do you know the gospel? He is passionate. You guys know the creation story. I wonder how often we read over it in the creation of humanity. And God formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then, of course, that beautiful story, and God formed the woman out of the man and brought the two together Marriage, by the way, and God caused, God caused the two to be one again. It's an amazing story. But even more than that is God formed humanity out of the dust of the earth, and then here it is, and then he breathed into him the breath of life. Neshama is the word. God breathed into us his spiritual nature. Whether it's the Holy Spirit or whether it's the human spirit, it is who we are as humanity. It is the human identity. We have the breath of God in us, in the way we formed us. And it's very, very powerful. And here's what's beautiful. The scripture says... He, he, he jealously desires that spirit. Let it, let it be as strong as it is. He jealously wants you. It's like being in junior high and the kid comes over in the hall and said, did you know that so-and-so really likes you? Oh, oh, she likes me, you know, she wants me. Or he wants me. No, God wants you passionately. That's the beauty of this story. And so what is the big what in all of this? Jesus, again, gives us clarity, talking about the wide gate and the narrow gate. Jesus used this interesting word. He says, I am the door. I am the door. It reads like this. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. That's abundant living, by the way. But the thief, he comes only, this is the wide gate. The thief, he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come so that you can have life and have it in an abundance. This is the person of God who wants you. We need to understand God is a person. 
He is a person who passionately wants you. This is better than the high school kid whispering in your ear, she really likes you. No, God really likes you. And he wants you. The person of God, Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still haven't come to understand who is this person of God? And Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen God. That's the person. That's the beauty. Everything that life has to offer is through this narrow door. You can put it up. Do we understand that it's simply turning life right side up? In the previous diagram, money was the root of all kinds of evil. It was bad. In the previous diagram, sex was the root of all kinds of evil. It was bad. Power was the root of all kinds of evil, and it was bad. But in this diagram, when you go through the door, all of your relationships are based on your relationship with Jesus. And the money, the sex, and the power, they're all still there. And they are very, very good. It's up to you which door you come through. And it's up to you whether these things are good or these things will destroy you. And believe me, they are beautiful, but they can destroy you. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, help us to see the simplicity of your answer. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Lord, that is what your word tells us. May we simply come in the door and have pasture and have abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen.